it's time for another episode of Espresso Yourself with Chuck. And now, coming to the mic, your host, Mr. Chuck Knapp. Welcome to a special episode of Espresso Yourself with Chuck. We've had a lot of great guests on this year. Uh, This was our first year of the rebranded, retitled Espresso Yourself with Chuck. Uh, it used to be called Coffee with Chuck, but this is our 10th anniversary for Jobs for America's Graduates Kansas. And so we decided to uh, do a number of things this year to celebrate, including our November soiree, where we celebrated 10 years with our board of directors, students, supporters. Uh, we had former Governor Brownback come back and uh, visit with us. It was a great time, but I kind of wanted to spend this episode talking about JAG and JAG-K and why we do what we do and how it got started here in Kansas, a little bit about the history of the national organization. We'll play some clips from some of our interviews, not only this year, but over the past uh, few years, going back to Coffee with Chuck and uh, up to this year. Our most recent guest was Gary Gilliam Jr., who is a former NFL player, an entrepreneur, real estate developer, multi-major graduate of Penn State University where he played football, uh, obviously. And so, a lot's going on. Uh, But let's go back to the beginning. So the first question is, how did Jack get started? Good question. Uh, I was then Governor Pete DuPont's education advisor in Delaware. Delaware was in a terrible mess at the time. Almost bankrupt, Wall Street wouldn't buy the bonds. Uh, The federal government had taken over the schools to get them integrated. The, The it was the second highest unemployment rate in the country, second highest dropout rate. And Governor DuPont said, look, we're a tiny place. 140 miles long, 40 miles wide. We can do better than this. So we set up five task forces. Over a six-month period, we built the JAG model and then rolled it out to test it. My favorite story, and which is absolutely true, is that in this terrible mess we were in, and it's hard to fully describe it, at midnight, um, at the end of a long series of meetings in the governor's mansion, the governor asked me to present the plan for jobs for Delaware graduates, which I did. And he went around his cabinet, which was 13 people around the table, including me. And because of the mess we were in and all the issues that the state was facing, they essentially said, no, 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 and got to me and I said, yes. And the governor paused a minute and said, the eyes have it, we can't wait, Ken, let's go to work. It wasn't too long where they started to realize the fruits of, of their efforts, and other states took notice, um, specifically Arizona and Tennessee. Uh, Ken Smith tells a great story about how they got to Arizona. The, the former elected education commissioner of Arizona basically called Ken Smith, who was Governor DuPont's education aide and the co-founder of, of, of Jobs for America's Graduates, uh, called Ken and said, hey, you're coming to Arizona. We want to do what you're doing there in Delaware. Uh, Ken thought maybe he had an option and, uh, 
she quickly made it clear that uh, no, um, you don't have an option. Carolyn Warner was that education commissioner of which I spoke, and Carolyn was tenacious. She is uh, really a historic figure in certainly Arizona politics, but I think you could argue in national politics. She was a longtime national committee woman for the Democratic Party in Arizona, uh, was their Democratic nominee for governor one year. So really a, a legend. Uh, she did pass a few years ago, but she wanted jobs for Delaware graduates in Arizona. And that was really the birth of Jobs for America's graduate. So anyway, fast forward to 2013 and Sam Brownback uh, was governor of Kansas at that time. He had been a United States Senator prior to that and had spoken with Ken Smith. As a United States Senator, Governor Brownback was uh, familiar with JAG and when he became governor, he wanted to bring it to Kansas. I knew Ken Smith uh, and Ken said, hey, you ought to do JAG and it really targets and helps students that really struggle in school. And, and I really have felt like that our K through 12 system underserves um, kids that struggle. I, I mean, I, I think it tries, but uh, so much of it's pointing people uh, towards higher education, which is good. I've got an advanced degree. I've taken advantage of that system, but there's a lot of students that just struggle in this system. And what I saw in JAG was a program that could really help that struggling student. Uh, and uh, I said, let's get it together and let's do it. And then we did something else that a lot of other states didn't do that helped us with the launch and make it such a big, big launch is we used some of our public assistance dollars uh, public dollars, public federal monies to launch JAG. A lot of others did it off of fundraising and corporate donations, which is good, great. Uh, but often it's hard to sustain. And can you find corporations that are going to be philanthropic enough to do that? Because they may get you know better some better workers out of it, but everybody does, honestly. And so so we just decided this would be really a good use of our public assistance dollars to help people before they get in a tough way. And he brought it to Kansas in a significant way. We started with 25 programs in the 2013-14 school year. That is the largest, continues to be the largest launch in the history of JAG uh, with 25 programs. It more than doubled the next year. And now, 10 years later, we have 104 programs, not including all of our, uh, what we call transitions programs for students who are in the foster care system or uh, the juvenile justice system. So a lot has happened over the last 10 years and we will talk a little bit more about what we do in JAG. I've touched on the graduation component and leadership and career development components, but there's so much more. We have community service, civic awareness, and those are just some of the elements of this successful evidence-based model. In Kansas, we've had a 96% graduation rate all time. If you go back the 
the past 10 years. Our statewide graduation rate in Kansas is also at an all-time high at over 89%, but even working with our students um, who may have academic challenges, 50% of our students are in the bottom 25% of class rank. We're still getting excellent graduation rates, um, but even I would say as important, maybe some would say more important, our positive success rate is, is also very high. And that means last year, 86% of our graduates, 12 months after their graduation, they were either in post-secondary education, military service, or in the workforce on a full-time basis. That's a year after graduation. So. We're pleased with that, obviously. Uh, we would like 100%, um, but 86% is a strong outcome. And we know that nationally, if a student is in a JAG program, they are 230% more likely to be employed than their peers who weren't in a JAG program. So the workforce development component is obviously working. It has been successful for more than 40 years nationally and uh, 10 years here in, in the state of Kansas. And so before we talk a little bit more about some of our outcomes, I wanted to visit with someone who has been here for all 10 years. I am joined by Connor Phillips, who around here is referred to as an OG. And uh, that's because he has been here from the beginning. Connor, welcome. Thank you, Jeff. So tell us, uh, this is our 10th year. We're celebrating that you were there in November for the JAG case soiree and uh, recognized as an original. Tell So, um, you know, Things are different now, a lot of programs. But as I mentioned earlier in this video, when this program started in Kansas, it started at a pretty good scale with 25 programs, the largest ever in the history of JAG for a new affiliate launch. You were here for that. Tell us a little bit about how you found out about the opening for Career Specialist at Parsons High School. Uh, a little bit about maybe your background, why you were interested in the position, and then just take us through the early days uh, of starting this new program. Well, yeah, uh, it's been 10 years. It's been a journey. Uh, we've gone through so many changes. You know, from the very beginning, I was actually over in Coffeyville, Kansas, working. I was the ESL district coordinator and also the tutor for the high school and middle school students. Um, like many people, you know, JAG was brand new to Kansas um, that year and nobody knew what it was, including myself. Um, I didn't even know that it was gonna be in Parsons, which is my hometown where, where I lived at. So I actually had some teachers reach out to me and said, hey, Connor, there's this position open at Parsons. I don't know what it is, but it's in our building. Come, come back home kind of thing. Um, so I, I didn't, I had to look into it. You know, it really intrigued me. I did my research on it figured out kind of what the program was about and working with that population of students and really being able to have an impact on them is something that I just strive for. Um, so I, I, I absolutely jumped all over it. Luckily enough, I submitted my application, got an interview and uh, was offered the job. So started in July of 2013. 
So July of 2013, a month before school starts, you kind of knew what JAG was about, probably by going to the JAG.org website and, and consuming as much information as possible. But as far as actually running a JAGK program, you were probably seeking answers. So um, tell us about the training and what that experience was like uh, preparing for the first year of the JAGK program. Uh, so as you mentioned, there was only 25 of us in the beginning. So it was a smaller group, but still a huge launch for Kansas. They actually sent us all to the national training seminar, which was drinking from a fire hose, as people explain it, because you're overloaded with so much information about the model and what it is, and they're throwing acronyms out there. And you're thinking, what is this? What's it even about? So um, Jack, Jack Kansas specialist and, and the president and CEO at that time, we were, we were all in our own session together because we were such a large group, but in relation to the national network, you know, very small. So we kind of got thrown thrown all this information at us. We were trying to figure out what it is, what's it look like. Um, I, I came from a teaching background. You know, I got my degree in secondary education in Spanish education and physical education. Um, grew up in a family of teachers grandparents, parents. So I, I felt comfortable myself going into a school and, and having my own students. Um, and then obviously doing a semester of student teaching uh, gave me some experience as well. So I felt comfortable in that aspect. But as far as what am I teaching these kids? You know, what is my goal? What is my objective? Uh, we, did, we had a, a three ring binder that was, you know, five inches thick. And it's like, here's your manual reading through that, highlighting things, putting post-it notes all over the pages. <laughs> Um, that was pretty much the extent of it in the beginning. So we have come a long ways when we're talking about training and getting people prepared to go into these positions. What were you thinking after that week, approximately a week of the national training seminar? You've got your five-inch three-ring binder, uh, and, and you did have an advantage over a lot of the new specialists in that you'd had some training in classroom management and had been in a classroom. Uh, so still there are so many aspects to this evidence-based model it's not just teaching some competencies obviously building relationships but it's getting out into the community and building relationships with employers so how did you attack those first weeks of the new program you had your manual but what was connor phillips's strategy well uh, i'll just be honest it, year one was a lot different than year three uh, year one, I was I was the teacher focused. I've got my lesson plans down. I kept them in a book, had my objective, had my vocab words, you know, the, the traditional teaching style. Um, by my third year, it was much more relaxed, student-led. What do you guys want to do? Here are some topics we can go over. Help me build it together. So uh, totally different mindset. But yeah, in that beginning, it was just like, I've got to get prepared. I've got to know what I'm going to do every single day so I'm not caught off guard. Um, I, again, I felt fairly comfortable with the fact that I was back in Parsons. Uh, you know, I was a graduate not very many years before that. Uh, I still knew a lot of the, the teachers there in the building and the staff, um, obviously born and raised in Parsons. So I had a lot of community connections that I really relied on. Uh, you know, it was easy for me to go out and get guest speakers in the beginning and just getting my kids exposed. So being able to build the relationships with them, I think, Felt like it was a lot easier because they knew I was there for them and I cared about them. 
we were focused on their grades. We were meeting with their teachers. It's a lot of one-on-one -on -one time in the beginning, just trying to figure out who they are and how they can best be supported. Um, and I think that's still kind of our baseline today is you have to know your kids um, because you want them to be successful. And if they, they don't want to know what you know, they want to know that you care. And once you can get that to them, you can help them and they'll do anything for you. Obviously, that's important. Relationships are critical. What are some of the other things, though, that set JAG-K apart from other programs? There are other programs in schools. There may have been other programs at Parsons High School at the time. This is an in-school elective class. Uh, we have a 12-month follow-up with all of our seniors after their senior year. But tell us, why do you think it's been so successful at Parsons High and across the state? Um, what what sets JAG-K apart from other programs and initiatives? Well, we're very non-traditional. You know, going through college and learning how to become a teacher compared to what I know about what students need today, you know, it's it's very different. Um, I think JAG-K sets sets the students up for success in different ways than the traditional education system does does, you know, through through the project-based learning, giving kids some leadership roles, letting them work in groups, letting them give some presentations, you know, getting them out of their comfort zones a little bit. It's not sit in your seat, open your book. Um, this is a student-led organization. Those students get a, a voice and choice that they typically don't get anywhere else. Um, I, I was able to lead that and be the most successful by putting up different topics that were part of our uh, curriculum and competencies and allowed them to choose which ones they wanted to work on and, and what those projects look like. Um, also having them think about who they know in the communities. Um, there's not very many classes that get, you know, 10, 15, 20 plus employer engagement. So giving those students an opportunity to explore different careers uh, was very vital into the success and still is. Um, the one thing I've learned over the last 10 years is Students don't know what they don't know. You know, these are young adults and until they're exposed to it, they don't even know it exists. One of my favorite questions to ask students was, if you could leave school right now and go do whatever it is you wanted to do, any, anything in the world, what would you do? And no matter what answer they gave me, it was always, you can make a job of that. You can go out and earn a, money, earn a living and make some money doing that. And it was like, what, what do you mean? So then we get into the research part of it. So being student focused and having those individual plans for them is, is extremely vital. Um, it's not a math class. It's not an English class. It's not that set structure um, that you typically get in an education setting. So I think that employer engagement aspect, that career focused mindedness um, is, is extremely key. Um, and then, you know, just the non-traditional aspect of we're here to have fun. We're here to care about each other. We're here to get you through whatever obstacles you have, whatever happened to you this morning or last night, we're going to get you through that. We're going to make sure you're successful in school. Um, we, we obviously understand students and a lot of the traumas that, that our young adults go through these days and um, anything that we can do to help support them and overcome those so they can be successful in life. Uh, you know, that that's our mission. That's why we're here. And, um, our specialists just have that that ability to be so flexible and to build the relationship so much easier and more strongly with those students than than you get from a, a regular teacher. 
Definitely a lot of variety. Uh, you know, we talk about the five elements of the of the model, civic and social awareness, leadership and career development and service learning. And so all of those things are building a person and helping build skills that will help them beyond high school, whether it's directly into the workforce, post-secondary education training, et cetera. So all of those things we teach, and that's taught by a career specialist. Then the career specialist has to maintain data on all of those things we teach and other things. So especially that first year, what was the, the most challenging aspect of juggling all of those balls in the air with the, the model components, building relationships, employer engagement? How, how, how did you do that? And what do you think personally is the biggest challenge as a career specialist? It's a great question. Um, you know, the specialist role is not easy. There, there is a lot to juggle all the time. Um, the students that we work with may need a little bit of attention or they may, may need all of our attention. And I really think, really think the difficulty with the position is just that time management. You know, it's, I, I'm glad that we only have our specialists teaching three and four classes, um, giving them that extra time to go out and make the connections to be able to put the data in. Um, you know, I, I always talk with managers about specialists and it's like, you know, we need people who can build relationships with students because we can teach them the, the data side of things. Um, so making sure, you know, we just get that training up front that's gonna help us transition a little bit easier into how we manage our data, um, you know, is extremely helpful. But I think for me personally, uh, probably the biggest challenge, my biggest challenge was spending 90% of my time on 10% of my students. And that is just an honest opinion. Um, I, I believed in every single student, whether they believed in themselves. I wanted it more, I wanted them to be successful more than they did. And that's a very hard thing to deal with whenever they don't want to be successful. They don't want to work hard. They don't see the outcome and how their choices and decisions in high school would affect the rest of their lives. Um, so I really focused on those kids and I, I had to learn every student needs equal attention. Some may have bigger obstacles and barriers in their lives than others, but you can't focus 90% of your time on 10% of your students because that's not delivering the quality of work that they need. That they're not learning as much. They're not getting the opportunities and experiences like they should be. So for me, that was probably the most difficult aspect of the job is learning how to manage that time with students. Um, and then, you know, of course, managing time with how long do I spend developing lesson plans? How long do I spend reaching out, making phone calls? How long do I spend going out and doing, you know, blind visits to different companies and organizations? Um, you know, there's a lot, but I, I really feel like we've come so far now that, you know, it is a manageable job because we have a ton of resources and support. You know, uh, you can, we have all these great, you know, best practices that we can share from our specialist and manager's points of view um, that, you know, we're, we're overloaded with resources, uh, which is a great thing because in the beginning when we started, I said it was my, my handy binder that I had, um, and that was pretty much all I had to go off of. So 25 was a, a big start. The next year, 
JAGK actually more than doubled in size to 52 programs. What was that like? Uh, you were a veteran then at that point, um, but tell me, you know, what was the sense of the, the 25 originals? And I don't know how many stuck around for year two. I don't know if you know, or approximately how many, uh, but what was it like going into year two with more than double the number of programs? A little hectic. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of restructuring that went into place. We actually had a manager then and not just a president and specialist. Um, so now we were reporting to someone pretty consistently. Uh, we had a little more data check and responsibility we had to do, um, but it also allowed us to have someone to lean on and, and give us some support as well. So um, I remember state training thinking, wow, this is a huge group. You know, we have 52 people in here as specialists and it was the flashback. Oh my gosh, they're going through what I went through. You know, they have no idea what they're getting into right now. I just hope they all have a great heart and are willing to serve those students and put the time and effort in because that's what we need. Um, so that that week of training was was just intense. Um, it was constant. I mean, we, we were in trainings all day long and then it was collaboration all night long because everybody was trying to pick people's minds. How did you do this? How did you do that? What does this look like? And you know, being in 25 schools in the beginning, we were so spread out over the state, we didn't have that good connection piece. You know, we're fortunate enough now that we have a little smaller regions. Uh, we have better relationships and better communication because we have teams of people. Um, back then it was one big team and, uh, you know, a smaller portion of administrative staff and management. So we didn't, we didn't get the opportunity um, like we do now to collaborate with one another. So it, it was a stressful time just for the fact that, you know, a lot of questions coming at you, asking about your job and how you did it. Um, you know, I, like I said, I was that teacher focused. I kept my, my own binder with all my lesson plans in it that came off of um, our curriculum. And I shared that with a lot of specialists and they were able to modify and use it. So um, it was helpful just to have more people on board, get more of a family type environment where we knew we were all here learning together. Jack K actually won an award that year at the National Training Seminar for having the most number of attendees. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we've never had that large a group since. So nope. um, I'm sure it was a very special time, interesting time. Nope. What are some of the other uh, changes you've seen over the, the past 10 years? You mentioned a few of them, more people, more collaboration. Uh, it's... Well, I'll ask you, um, because you were here when it was the smallest, and you've been here since it's the largest. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, Kansas is the fastest, um, I want to say this correctly, uh, we reached 100 or more programs quicker than any other affiliate in the history of Jobs for America's graduates. Uh, part of that was that huge, huge leap from year one to year two. Uh, but what are some other changes you've seen over the years, for better or worse? How, how has the organization changed since 2013? I'd say the biggest thing is it's constant change. Um, and I know change is difficult. It's always challenging when you're learning new things, when you're restructuring, when you're hiring new people. Um, but that's the mindset that we've had. And we've had to work in that sense because we know we're going to grow. We know we're going to expand. So having the mindset of we've got to make changes to prepare for the future. We have to do those things now. We can't wait. 
um, you know, hiring more managers, uh, hiring more administrative staff. Uh, Chuck, obviously you came in and, and are always thinking big picture and that has been huge. Um, you know, we can't add 10 more programs if we don't have a structure set in place that um, can be supported. Uh, one of the, the I, I mentioned this previously, but the biggest thing is in the beginning, we didn't have any resources. Um, and now we're overwhelmed with resources. I mean, everything is there. It's just a matter of going out and finding it. Um, so ha I think having, having the resources available, um, having a supportive team that you know is very diverse in all different aspects, whether it's data programming, uh, transitions, working with those students in foster care, um, and, and just training in general, like we have what we need to be successful now. And uh, we have that structure put in place that I think we're always gonna be successful because of that. Um, so that's probably been the biggest shift over these last 10 years is, is having that big picture mindset and making sure we're set up for what the future holds. I think when you started, you, you mentioned there was president CEO, one position, career specialist, and that may have been it the first year. Right? <laughs> um, uh, I know an administrative assistant was brought on at some point, but it was, there weren't too many positions within the organization in those early, early years. And so you yourself, so there weren't too many promotional opportunities or pathways. And we talk about every role is important. There are more roles now within the organization and, and mm -hmm. you've had, uh, you're in your third role, I think. Um, so career specialist, regional manager, and now a director. And uh, you've seen a lot of, of that. Well, you've seen all the change. Uh, you've been here, you and just a few others. We've had some others who have come back to the organization after taking a little bit of a sabbatical doing other things, but uh, but there are very few. In fact, help me remember you, Michael, do we have any other OGs still with us? Um, Anna Silva. With, oh, Anna, with of course. Anna. Yeah. Um, I believe that's it. That's it. Michael Munoz, Connor yeah. Phillips, and Anna Silva, part of the original 25. Uh, we need to give you a special patch or something to wear on your jackets um, or your shirts, on your, on your polo shirts. Anyway, Connor, thank you so much for kind of going back through the history of JAG-K, helping us celebrate these 10 years, for being an integral part of, of the overall success and certainly the early success of JAG-K. Well, that was a great opportunity to get a little bit more history of JAG-Kansas. And now I wanted to play a clip of Ken Smith as he talked about one of the, the moments that inspired him most as co-founder and president of Jobs for America's graduates. Well, it's hard to pick one, of course, 40 years a long time and seen a lot, but I think it's when the young man walked up to me and he said, are you Ken Smith? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, uh, wanted to meet you. I said, great to meet you. I wanted you to know you saved my life and went on to describe a really uh, tough set of circumstances that led to that. So that's pretty vivid um, and very direct and very honest. Uh, we've had a lot of interesting folks on here. We've had college athletes, pro athletes, we've had broadcasters, uh, we've had uh, business owners, 
a, a wide range of careers have been represented on, on this program. Most recently, we had Gary Gilliam Jr., who is a former NFL player. He played for the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers, an offensive tackle. He actually caught a touchdown pass in the NFC Conference Championship game against the Packers. I think that was in 2018. Um, may have to fact check me on that. Um, but that that was really kind of the, the momentum shift that the Seahawks needed in that game. They were behind the Packers at the time fairly significantly. Uh, they caught up, they overcame them, and went to the Super Bowl where they ultimately lost to the Patriots on uh, a goal line offensive uh, call. It was a pass that was intercepted by the Patriots in the end zone. I think most people thought they would give it to Marshawn Lynch and he would go in for the touchdown, uh, but that didn't happen and the rest is history. But Gary Gilliam Jr. was not only successful in athletics, uh, reaching the pinnacle of, of that sport, he has contributed to his community and really that all started, his drive started early and he had some great advice for students when we spoke with him recently. They just didn't like that I missed half my college football career, that I didn't have much experience as an offensive tackle, right? There's a lot of things against me, right? Pers you got to persevere through adversity though. So I was taught, look, control what you can control, your mindset, your effort, uh, just all you need is a blade of grass, right? If it's on defense and all you got is a blade of grass to defend, boy, bend, 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 but don't break, right? Defend it. You know, offensive, all you got to get is a blade of grass. Then go get, go do everything you can, fight this. It's a blade, right? So for me, that always meant like, hey, look, just an opportunity. If I get, if I get my foot in the door, if I get to get a little blade of grass, and I can make this thing pop. So right. I was told very early on that the same attributes that make me successful as an athlete are the same things that are going to make me successful in the classroom, in the business world, and whatever it is that I, that I decide to do. So, I mean, hence with my studies during college, it was never like, oh, I'm going to just do kinesiology and maybe I'll be a, a trainer or something, you know, when I'm done. Like, no, nah, like, one, y'all are paying for this. So I'm going to get as much education as I can. And two, I, I can do it. Like, why not? Like, I'm I'm a top performing Division One football player. Taking in a crazy playbook. Like, why can't we? Your class is easy. You just got to do your homework. At the end of the day, <laughs> March thirty first, two thousand nineteen, uh, the rapper and philanthropist, community builder Nipsey Hussle, was shot and killed out out in front of a, a shopping center that he owned. Uh, Nipsey was a, a rapper in in California in Compton. Uh, was involved in, in gangs and, and hustling. They, they did what he had to do to feed his family, family growing up. Ended up getting into, into rapping, uh, you know, made some pretty good albums, was an independent artist, you know, owned his masters, you know, was talking about financial literacy and generational wealth and his raps, right? So it's kind of a different cat. Um, and then wasn't just talking about it, but was doing it. Had actually invested into Compton uh, to, to build a co-working space called Vector 90 to act as a pipeline between the inner city and Silicon Valley. And um, so he had gotten, he had gotten shot and killed out of front, in front of one of the things that he had owned. And um, it just led me into a, a deep dive into his life, what he was about, who he was, listened to a lot of his music, his interviews. And I started questioning myself, you know, like, like, Gary, what are you doing? 
like like this guy here like unfortunately had to lean on 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 selling drugs and gang banging and rapping like he didn't get to go to a milton hershey school or earn a scholarship to go to a penn state or go to the nfl and make a bunch of you know clean money so like what are you doing why why aren't you investing intentionally in the infrastructure of your community right so i'm i'm start i started thinking to myself like well I, I was asking that question about corporations and why are these football players not going home and doing things beyond football camps well gary what are you doing so again nipsey was shot and killed March 31st, 2019 is a week of me literally in my office with his album Victory Lap on repeat, writing, bring, bringing all the different business plans that I had written together into, into this one entity, right? A co-working space, urban agriculture, multifamily homes, a nonprofit, entertainment pieces like sustainability. I'm like, whoa, this is the bridge. That's what this is. That's a, and, it, and, it, and it came, I looked up if the bridge.com was an available domain and it was <laughs> crazy. So I'm like, okay, this is meant to be Designed the logo real quick, you know, and then, then it was about finding the people to make it happen, right? Oh, you got the business plan. you got all the processes down now. Let's make this happen. <laughs> Resiliency, overcoming barriers. Those are all things we talk about at JAG K and we also talk about the importance of giving back to your community. All of our students are required to have 10 hours of community service each year. And many of them do more than that, not only with their class, but on their own, as they understand the significance of being involved in your community, being involved in, in what's going on with the, uh, the electoral process. We don't, we don't endorse candidates. Uh, but we do tell our students that it's important to know what's going on in your community. And if you are interested in a career in public service, then go volunteer. Find a candidate who matches your beliefs and go help that candidate. Uh, especially if you want to have a career in politics, starting at that level, volunteering is, is really the best way to get involved. And we've had a number of, of elected officials talk to us over the years. Um, governors, all of our governors have been very supportive of JAG-K. I mentioned it started in 2013 with former Governor Sam Brownback, who brought the program to the state. Uh, then Jeff Collier continued to support it as governor. And then Governor Laura Kelly has uh, also been a member of the National JAG Board of Directors. She has helped fund expansion. For Jack K, our first significant expansion since 2014-15. Uh, She's also expanded our opportunities in serving system-involved youth, both in the foster care system and in the juvenile justice system. So she has also been a champion of Jack K. And so here are a few clips from our three governors. The thing I really love about this program uh, is that it allows really the specialists to put their heart into it for the students. It's, it's kind of sometimes difficult in an educational setting to get past the, uh, uh, just the book, to, to get, okay, we've got so much material we've got to cover here and let's get this done. But what you've got in the JAG program, and JAG-K in particular, is you've got these specialists that just pour their heart into it, that pour their hearts into their students, and the students respond, uh, and they and they thrive, and they they grow, 
and they get so much better and they get so much out of it to where that this becomes one of the key experiences for them in their entire high school time. JAG's mission is to prepare and empower our students to succeed. And as you prepare to become the next generation of America's workforce after graduation. As governor, that is also part of my mission. And that's why I'm so proud to support the JAG organization and you, its participants. I wish each of you the best in all of your endeavors. Hello, Governor Laura Kelly here. As a longtime supporter of JAG-K, I couldn't be happier to congratulate you on 10 years of excellence. For the last decade, you have given Kansas's next generation the support and the resources they need to succeed. You have knocked down barrier after barrier so that more of our students can reach their full potential. And you have been a model, both for our kids and for all Kansans, of true resilience and service. Perhaps most impressively, JAG-K has always had bipartisan support in an increasingly polarized world because who can argue with its mission or outcomes? For the past nine years, over 95% of JAG-K participants have graduated from high school. It's incredible. And it's due to the hard work and dedication of JAG-K career specialists who serve as mentors and educators for dozens of students at a time. That proven success is why I, as a state senator and now as governor, have supported JAG-K with funding and by serving on the National Board of Directors. Last year, $3.5 million in new funding expanded JAG-K to 109 programs statewide, including a program at our Kansas Juvenile Correctional Complex. As a result, Kansas is now the only state with an accredited JAG program in a state juvenile facility. To all of JAG-K, again, thank you for your important work and congratulations on 10 years. I look forward to the next 10 years and many years after that. Thanks for watching Espresso Yourself with Chuck. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel and get notified of any new episodes of Espresso Yourself with Chuck or other videos with our JAG-K program. Thank you.